Good morning, my name is Dave Furman and I serve as the senior pastor of Redeemer Church of Dubai. It's a delight to open God's word with each of you this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's in the New Testament. You'll have four gospels there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that look at the life of Jesus. Then you'll have Acts, which shows us the early church. And then you'll have the teachings or the epistles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you of one announcement. Our next membership class is this afternoon from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. And we'll go through the entire class in one day. We'll meet behind the Limeridian Hotel in Garhud. You'll see a map on page 11 of your bulletin. We still have some space, so just come on by. Attending the class doesn't guarantee you'll join or commit you to join, but gives you an opportunity to learn more about our church, to hear more about us, to meet our elders and staff. I hope you also received our sermon card this morning. I encourage you to take it home, put it on your refrigerator, stick it in your Bible, and to read ahead of time the passage that's going to be preached on Friday. That'll help you uh, get a beginning of an understanding of the text as we preach it here on Fridays. You'll see on the card that today I'm preaching through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, a sermon titled, The Cheerful Giver. Now, to be honest, I'm a little nervous to tackle a text which talks about giving. This is one of the reasons I've largely stayed away from the topic in the six years since Redeemer has started. I've been hesitant to talk about it for a number of reasons. One is because many of you come from churches where you've been wounded or misled in this area. Maybe you've been promised riches if you put money into the offering. I know a couple of you have had churches actually steal money from you. Most of us are familiar with the false teachers who've made promises that if you gave a certain amount of money to the church or to a specific ministry, then you'll receive tenfold in return. Some of us have been victims of these scams. Another reason I haven't talked about it much is because it's a little bit awkward. It seems easier to talk about pride or doubt or just about anything else. We'll share our internet browsing history with a friend, but we don't want anyone to take a look at our bank accounts or our giving statements. I think it was Martin Luther who said that our mind is first converted to Christ, then it's the heart that gets converted, and then finally, last but not least, it's your pocketbook that gets converted. Money's a hard thing to deal with. It's a hard thing to talk about. So why are we talking about it today? For at least three, three reasons. One, many of our worries and difficulties revolve around money. Two, it's a hidden idol in many of our hearts. And three, most importantly, the Bible talks a lot about money. It's been noted that Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. It's also been calculated that at least 15% of all of Jesus' teachings is directly concerned with money and giving. About a year ago, here on a Friday morning, I admitted my own fault in shying away from teaching about money. But for the sake of our spiritual health, we need not shy away from the Bible's instructions about money and giving. I told you all I regretted my hesitation to teach these things, and since then we've talked about it a little bit more. 
As as I reflected on what to preach during these upcoming months, you'll see on the card there that we'll be taking our time to go through 2 Timothy, be looking at Proverbs, we'll be looking at the Gospels. But I had a couple spots for uh, some one-off sermons. And I wanted one of those to, to be starting the year with a sermon on this text from 2 Corinthians. This is not a topical sermon, which is where you take a specific topic and you look at the whole Bible and you track and see what does the whole Bible say about something. We're not doing that this morning. But we're doing an exposition on one of the most glorious texts in all of our Bible on giving. I wanted to do it in a time of thanksgiving and even celebration. Let me show you something amazing. Many of you know about a month ago, we were almost 200,000 dirhams below our budget. With just a couple weeks left in the year, we had a lot to give in a hurry. Well, turn to page 15 in your bulletin. I want to show you what happened. Just turn there towards the very end of your bulletin. Last page, actually, page 15. You'll see last year's giving there at the top. And I want to announce that in God's kindness... We made the 2015 budget. I mean, praise God, look at it there. Our budget for 2015 was 3,550,000 dirhams. Our giving for 2015 was 3,550,192 dirhams. A surplus of 2,192 Now, unless my calculations are incorrect, we beat the budget by 0.0006%. We were 100.0006% funded for last year. Praise God. Rejoice in our God's grace to us. So just to be clear with that, I'm I'm preaching this passage in a spirit of excitement. I'm preaching this passage in a spirit of thanksgiving to God and what he has done in our midst. I'm praising God for his work and I'm thankful for the generous hearts in this church. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for for this, this church. I'm not preaching this passage as a way to chide our congregation or to say we're starting a building project today and you need to give more. Our ushers aren't going to command you to empty your wallets in order to get out of this room today. Although that would be one creative way to do an offering. We're not going to ask you to submit copies of your salary statements to the elders. That would just be weird, wouldn't it? And if any church ever makes you do that, just run. Run away. Run fast. But we do have a new budget. You'll see there at the bottom of page 15, our new budget for 2016. Our members approved the raise of 5%. It's a bit of an an ambitious goal. We made the last year's budget by 2,000 dirhams. And this year we're setting a budget of more than 200,000 dirhams or so more. Or somewhat around 200,000 dirhams. So how should we as a church think about giving in 2016. Our, our minds are convinced of the gospel. Our hearts have changed. Are our wallets converted too? How should we as a church think about giving? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to find out. And we'll ask two questions as we walk through the text. That'll serve as our outline today. Just, just two questions. Number one, why should we give? Number two, how should we give? 
Why and how? The first question, why should we give? Well, let me set the context to our passage. Paul was traveling throughout Asia asking the churches to contribute to famine relief for the church at Jerusalem. People were starving there and Paul is writing another letter to the church at Corinth, reminding them of their previous desire to help with the offering. They had pledged help a year earlier and Paul is urging them to follow through with it. In our passage, Paul tells them and us why we should give. There's several reasons. First, we give so that we'll have more to give. So a first reason why we give, we give so that we'll have more to give. Now, that doesn't match up with worldly wisdom, does it? That says you give so that you can get something in return. So let me show you this from the text. Verse 6, chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a farming analogy. If a farmer wants a big crop, he'll have to scatter lots of seed. If he doesn't spread the seed, he won't have much crop. It's as simple as that. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. The way to get a big crop is to throw out all your seed. Scatter it on the field and watch it grow. The farmer does that, then he trusts the weather, he trusts the field, the the seed. Many have taken this verse out of context. Maybe you've heard it said that if you give money to God, God will pay you back for your amazing faith. That God wants you to have three BMWs, a butler, and a Boeing airplane. Well, this false teaching has been given many names. The name it and claim it gospel. The health and wealth gospel. My personal favorite, the blab it and grab it gospel. The word of faith movement the gospel of success, private confession theology, and the prosperity gospel. One of these preachers whose personal fortunes over $100 million said that Jesus was rich because he had to support the apostles, and so we should yearn to be rich too. Another says that being poor is a sin because it means you're not generous. Because if you're generous, then God would make you rich. You give 10 dirhams, you'll get 1,000 back. You give 1,000 dirhams, you'll get a million back. Another says, if you stay in your faith, you will get paid. And she's not talking about heaven. This woman goes on to say, I am now, today, this day, living in my reward of my riches. Friends, I want to protect you. Don't believe everything you hear from someone who says that they are a preacher of the word of God. Just because someone has paid for time on God TV doesn't mean they're teaching the Bible. For that matter, don't take my word for it. Match up everything that you hear from this pulpit any Friday and take the word of God and make sure that they're the same. The word of God is our standard. But what about this verse? Pastor Dave, doesn't it say if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully? Yes, it does. You are correct. But read the rest of the passage. When studying the Bible, friends, always, always, 
always read the entire context of a passage and then look at the one big book of the Bible as a unified, completed message. We never want to just pluck a verse from here and pluck a verse from there and take them out of the context, immediate context, and of the whole Bible. So look at what Paul's saying here. Yes, it's true. If you give away your money, you'll get more money. That's true. It says that. But verse 10, it's a quote out of Isaiah 55. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Now look at what Paul says. Why will God multiply your seed? Is it to get the new car or the airplane or the house? Well, he gives it to you. Why? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He gives it to you for more sowing to make an even bigger harvest and so that the gift will bring more. More what? More money? No, more righteousness. Later, he tells us that giving will produce a rich harvest of unity, love, and thanksgiving. And then verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So yes, God will give you more if you're generous. Correct. Says it in the Bible. Why? So that you can give even more. Paul isn't talking about a greater increase of your wealth. He's talking about the increase of your giving. The prosperity teachers strategically leave that part of the Bible out. Give your money away and God will give you more money to give away. This isn't a Christian get rich scheme. It's a Christian give more scheme. Author Randy Alcorn says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living but to raise my standard of giving. That truth is right out of this text. Friend, when you get a raise or you come upon more income, what is your heart happy about? Does your heart leap for joy at what you can now give? Or are you happy about that Raise and how it can increase your standard of living. Well, second reason why we give is to bless others. It's the second reason under our question, why do we give? We give because it blesses others. This is really an overflow of the first subpoint I gave. We give for the sake of others. It's because your giving changes lives. And not only materially. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Sure, the poor are able to eat. Churches are able to function. But the blessing doesn't stop there. It is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. As these saints in Jerusalem receive food, it will result in thanksgiving to God. They will worship God. And receiving leads to glorifying God. It points others to Christ. A third reason why we give. We give because it blesses us. We give because we'll get back. Not riches, but prayer and love. Verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. When you give generously, people will long for you. 
They will love you. And more importantly, they will pray for you. They'll see God's grace in your life and they'll praise God for you. There's a new bond of love between giver and receiver. And here Paul is envisioning the affection between the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and the Gentile Christians in Corinth. One of Paul's motives in the Corinthians giving is to promote unity. A fourth reason, a fourth reason we give is because God will take care of us. We give because we know that as Christians, God will take care of us. Verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is an interesting promise. Give your money away, and God will give you what you need. Notice it doesn't say you'll have that penthouse suite, but you'll have all that you need. He'll provide it. Well, a fifth reason we give is because it's all God's anyway. We give because everything we have comes from God. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Who's the one providing the seed in the first place? Well, it's, it's God. Paul's saying the reason you give is because everything that you have is from him. Tim Keller shares a helpful illustration of this. He says, a parent understands this well. You buy your children a 200 Durham video game and all the kids say, oh, daddy, thank you. Daddy, we love you. Daddy, you're the best. Then you sit down after watching them play that video game for an hour. You say, hey, can I play the game? No, daddy, it's my turn. Why? And the child responds, well, it's my game. You buy your child a bag of M&Ms. You say, hey, child who I've raised and provided everything for, May I have one M&M? And they instantly shriek back and they look for ways to hide the bag and say, It's mine, my precious. (laughs) And you look at them and say, Are you joking? I just bought that bag of M&Ms. And yeah, I gave it to you. Sure, it's yours. I'm not asking for the whole bag. I'm just asking for one measly M&M. Come on, I raised you. Give me some candy. Just a piece. On Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, he writes, What do you have that you did not receive? Like a parent giving to their children. It's a gift. Why do we give our money away? Well, we give it away because it's all God's anyway. He's given it to us to steward for his glory and honor. So there are lots of reasons to give. We could keep going on and on, but those are just the five reasons right out of this passage. I'll get back to another reason at the end. But lots of reasons to give. But then the next question that comes to mind a bit more practically, how do we give? How do we give? That's the second question the text answers this morning and our second point. So why do we give? Number one. Number two, How do we give? How do we give? Well, a Christian should give generously, thoughtfully, and cheerfully. 
Generously, thoughtfully, and cheerfully. Let's look at each of those one at a time. First, a Christian should give generously. Verse 6. So bountifully. Then verse 9 is a direct quotation from Psalm 111. He has distributed it freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. To reinforce Paul's challenge to the Corinthians, Paul reminds them that those blessed by God are then generous to the poor. Paul uses this example to show one whose righteousness endures forever. Now, giving is a sign of one's right relationship with God. And then verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Again, we give generously because it's all God's and he's been generous with us. We also give generously because we can't take our money with us when we die. Proverbs 23, 5 says, Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. What a picture. Next time you yearn for a possession, imagine it sprouting wings and flying off. That flat screen TV just sprouting wings like an eagle and flying away. Your gold or your handbag or that art piece just sprouting wings and going bye-bye. Sooner or later, it will disappear. Randy Alcorn tells a story of the time he went to Cairo, Egypt, and he was led by his friend through a, a small, dark alleyway through this back gate to this overgrown field. He was told it was a graveyard for foreign missionaries. And his friend walked Randy up to a grave that said, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. See, William Borden was a very wealthy man. He was an heir to to millions of dollars. He was a Yale graduate. He had his whole life set up for himself. And yet he gave all of his wealth away and he gave up his life of ease to take the gospel to Egypt. And yet four months after arriving in Egypt, he died of spinal meningitis the age of 25. There's a phrase right there on the tombstone there in Cairo that says, right there, under William Borden's name, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. So Randy's friends took him to see that tombstone where he could learn of William Borden. And then his friends took Randy over to the National Museum there in Cairo to look at King Tut's exhibit. Now, Tut was the boy king. He was only 17 when he died. And he was buried with gold chariots. He was buried in a gold coffin in a gold tomb with all of his gold artifacts laying around it. The Egyptians believed in in the afterlife that you could take all your treasures with you. But all of it remained right there in the museum. The museums are full of possessions that wealthy people leave behind. Two different graves, William Borden, King Tut. But neither man could take anything with them when they died. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. When the great business tycoon John D. Rockefeller died, his assistant was asked how much money he left behind. The assistant rightly answered, he left it all behind. It's true, isn't it? 
dirhams, dollars, pesos, rand, euro, pound, shilling, rupees. They all become worthless when Jesus comes back or we die. They're meaningless on that day. But friends, we can make a difference today by being generous. This is, this is going to be different for each of us. One amount of giving may be generous for one person, but not the other. So I think John Piper's words are helpful to us. He says, Use your money in such a way that shows the world that Jesus is more important to you than your money. Use your money in such a way that shows the world, shows your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your family members that Jesus, the almighty Jesus, is more important to you than your pocketbook. So spend and save and give generously in such a way that people can make no mistake what you're all about. That you are a Christian. That you are one who adores Jesus above anything this world has to offer. Seek ways to cultivate a generous heart. Don't live above your means. Live on less than what you make so that you can give more away. Be careful when you're tempted to buy nice things. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But ask yourself this. Is this the best use of my money right now? Don't get into debt in such a way that limits your generosity. Give even when you don't think you can give, knowing from this text that God will provide for you what you need. Read a book on giving. I read Randy Alcorn's short book, The Treasure Principle, this past week, and it it encouraged me to be even more generous. Take Jesus' charge to give seriously. And friend, understand that your citizenship is not here. Hebrews 11, we are strangers and aliens on earth. 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors representing another country. Philippians 3, our citizenship is, is where? Not here, but in heaven. Hebrews 11, we are citizens of a better country. 1 Peter 1, we are elect exiles with an inheritance in heaven. We don't take anything with us from here, but oh, friend, the inheritance that we will receive in heaven is all glorious. So work hard to cultivate generosity now. Having a generous heart isn't simply something you fall into one day. You don't just drift into generosity. It's something you must cultivate so you can be ready to give in a moment's notice. One of my favorite stories of seeing this firsthand was in our final semester studying theology at seminary. Now, some of you know this story. My wife and I were going through a difficult time financially. Gloria was pregnant with our first child, and we had our final payment for tuition due that we knew nothing about. We hadn't anticipated, plus all the medical bills for the pregnancy put us in a, in a dire situation. And one day, just in the middle of class, Gloria was there in her class, and she just started just weeping right there in class. She excuses herself from class. She was so upset over the situation, she just starts walking home. And we live in an urban area at the time, and it was said 
to the women on campus not to walk across the street there at night because it was so dangerous. Well, this was a nighttime. It was in the middle of the day. Gloria thought she was safe and there's no problem to, to kind of walk home during the day. Well, as she started walking, she saw in the corner of her eye this man running towards her. And she thought to herself, well, this is it. I'm going to get mugged. I don't even have enough money for him to steal, but just unpaid bills I could give him. But the man ran up to her and gave her a hug. And Gloria thought, well, when did robbers start giving out hugs before taking her money? But instead of demanding her purse, he asked, are you all right? What happened? Well, he introduced himself as Al and he said, hey, I saw a pregnant woman walking across campus crying, and I wanted to find out what was happening. Gloria said everything was fine, but after more questions, this mysterious Al kind of pressed into her life, and she said, well, we have no money for tuition, no money for the baby. And the man just smiled and said, Gloria, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. What is your mailbox number? I want to help you. And the next day, even though it was snowing and the post office was closed, We checked the mailbox on the way to the doctor's office, and we opened it up, and inside that box was a check that covered all of our tuition, and even a check that that gave us money for Christmas presents. We were stunned, and, and this time we were both crying there in the middle of campus, but no one came up to hug me and make sure I was doing okay. We just cried and cried and cried. Now, did Al... Just get generous in that moment. What triggered it? Now, Gloria shared about this mysterious owl with one of her seminary professors. And that professor just marveled at everything the Lord had put into place to prepare that man's heart to give generously in that very moment. Al's treasure was Jesus Christ and his glory, not his own pocketbook. Al was ready to bless others because his heart was ready. Friend, we need, to be, we need to ready our hearts to give generously. Ask God to prepare your heart even now, even today. We give generously. Well, a second sub-point, a second reason, kind of how we give, what well, we give generously. We also give thoughtfully. As Christians, we give thoughtfully. Verse 7 Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Paul isn't encouraging the Corinthians to be casual or impulsive in their giving, but to intentionally decide how much to give. Giving is a matter of the heart, not the calculator. We don't come on Friday morning and give to the church whatever's left in our wallets after our week's spending. We don't open our purses to give a token to God. We are to set patterns of giving in our life, a spiritual discipline like any other. How much should we give? Well, the quick answer is, I don't know how much you should give. I really don't. But let me give you the longer answer. In the Old Testament, there were actually several different offerings, one of which was a tithe that was given to the priestly ministry. A tithe means a tenth part That's where we get the number 10%. Jesus himself validated the tithe in his ministry. But then after Christ's death in the new covenant, we never see the tithe mentioned again in our Bibles. 
So how much do we give? Augustine and others taught that 10% was the minimum giving requirement for Christians. I think the question I always come back to is this. Should we as the people of the new covenant, people on the other side of the cross who have seen God's lavish love for us in Christ, give less than what the Old Testament saints were commanded to give? It seems seems unfathomable to think that we should give less to furthering God's work among us. So how much should you give to the church? Well, I think a good principle is starting at 10% and moving up from there as God provides. We should probably view 10% as a starting place, not as a place to stop. Well, maybe you think, oh, well, I'm not even giving 10% now. I'm not sure I could do it. Well, imagine for a minute if you had to take a 10% pay cut. Would you survive? I think we all would. It might not be easy at first, but you'd make the necessary adjustments to your spending and saving. Friend, if that's you, adjust your spending now and give generously and thoughtfully to God. Now, how much more than 10% you give depends on your situation. For some people, giving 12% away to the church is more stretching than giving 30% away. I know people who are even able to give 75% or 90% away because of the abundance that God has provided them. So give thoughtfully. Wrestle with God regarding how much you should give. Giving thoughtfully is about the heart, not about the amount. Stretch your faith and give in a way that builds your faith up. Give of your first fruits, not what's left over. And if you're married, discuss your giving with your spouse. Pray over your giving and make a plan. Your giving should primarily be to the local church you're currently a part of. We see that all throughout Scripture. We see it uh, in, first, in 1 Corinthians 9, in Galatians, in 1 Timothy 5, that we are to give where we are being fed. Not to the church back home, not to some other ministry, not to the tele-evangelists, not to missionaries or to an orphanage. Now, we could give to some of those things, but that would be in addition to our giving to the local church. Friend, how much time and, and intentionality are you putting into your giving? Are you as a member, and this is not a question for those of you who don't yet follow Christ or for those of you who are currently exploring Christianity, but to you members of Redeemer Church of Dubai, are you faithfully giving to this church? If everyone in this church was giving in the same proportion as you, how would we be doing as a church? Would we be thriving or barely surviving? Are you spending time looking for additional ways to give? Are you daydreaming about ways you can bless others? Here's your homework for this week. It's relatively simple, but a bit harder than it sounds. Sit down with one person this week in this church to talk about your giving. Share with them what percentage of your income you give to the church and to other things, and ask them the same question. It's common for for Christians to ask certain questions. How's your marriage? How's your pride? How's your time in God's word this week? Are you praying? How are you doing with purity? 
But how often do we ask each other questions like, how's your giving to the Lord? How are you handling money? Are you winning the battle against consumerism? I was convicted this week. I'm not asking those questions of others far enough. I'm not inviting others to ask those questions of me. But friends, let's strive for intentionally intrusive relationships at Redeemer. Let's push towards gloriously awkward conversations to the honor and glory and fame of our great God. Give generously. Give thoughtfully. And finally, give cheerfully. So how do we give? Generously, thoughtfully, and cheerfully. Verse 7. Do not give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is where we get the word hilarious. Paul says, Corinthians, if your heart is right with God, it should bring you great joy to give. Should bring you great cheer. In fact, earlier in chapter 8, he gives us an illustration of cheerful giving. He says, Hey, Corinthians, let me tell you about some cheerful givers. Look back at chapter 8, verse 1 and following. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul's telling the Corinthians about the Macedonian Christians. See, they understood this joy that he's calling them to in our chapter. They were experiencing great poverty, and yet they gave. They gave joyfully when they hardly had anything to give. It's almost as if Paul was trying to let the Macedonians off the hook for giving. Oh, oh, Macedonians, you're in great poverty. You don't have to give anything. You don't have much to give. But then verse 4, it says that they begged him. Oh, Paul, Paul, you don't understand. We have to give. We've, we've got to give. Well, the impoverished Christians in Macedonia were begging Paul for the privilege to give to the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. I love that picture. Normally, when we think of beggars, we think as those who are begging for money. But they were begging Paul to be able to give. This is what biblical begging looks like. Oh God, please let us give more. Paul says, Corinthians, be like them. Redeemer Church of Dubai, be like them. Be like the Macedonian Christians. We give when we're poor. We give when we're in debt. We give when we hardly have enough for breakfast. We give in our abundance. We give in plenty and we give in want. 
Giving isn't just a luxury of the rich, but a privilege for the poor. In an interesting twist, since the Corinthians told Paul a year ago that they were going to give, Paul actually used the Corinthian zeal as an example to the Macedonians. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? He said in verse 2 that I just read, I shared of your readiness to give to Jerusalem, and your zeal, Corinthians, actually stirred up the Macedonians. So Paul says, guys, give or we're going to look pretty silly. Don't let our boasting in you, Corinthians, be empty. Or verse 4, we'll be humiliated if you don't give. Don't go back on your word. Fulfill your promise. Why haven't the Corinthians given yet? I don't know. The text doesn't say. We do know that they were a relatively wealthy people. A year has gone by. Maybe greed has crept up into their hearts. Could the deceitfulness of riches have changed their minds? How about you? Have you given in to the lie of Dubai? That lie that says money, wealth, and things will make you most happy? More stuff, more passport stamps, more savings. Perhaps when you first got here, you were very generous. You thought about all the ways you could give your new found income to the Lord's work. But now you see what money can get you, and it, it has slowly anesthetized your soul. Give cheerfully. Now, this passage doesn't mean we only give when we feel cheerful. You're here on a Friday morning, you're thinking, well, pastor, I'm a bit grumpy today, so I'm going to keep my wallet closed because that's what scripture says. I've got to obey God. No, no, no. Cheerfulness often comes during and after the act of obedience, not before it. So don't wait until you feel like giving because it could be a long wait. Just give and watch your joy follow. Not under compulsion, not reluctantly. No one's going to force you to give before you leave today. I think of the, the story of the boy who sticks his hand in the cookie jar but gets it stuck there. You know, mom tries everything, tries hot water, tries soap. She tries pulling his arm out as hard as she can and then she ends up getting a hammer and she's going to break the jar to save her boy's hand and right before she does the boy yells out yells out and says stop mom would it help if i let go of the cookie (laughs) well of course it would because she could pull out his hand right out of the cookie jar now it's just like us we need to be willing to let go of our money Not reluctantly, but to give freely out of a cheerful heart. Friends, the reason we can joyfully let go of our riches is because of the most joyful giver, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For joy... 
For joy, Jesus went to the cross. And he didn't just give some money. He gave his very life. He faced the full wrath of God and the sin of all believers was placed upon him. Jesus is the ultimate cheerful giver. His whole life was a march to the cross to give away everything with joy. He did it out of joy. At the end of our passage, Paul suddenly bursts out there in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's Jesus. God has given us many great gifts, the greatest of which is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate giver and the ultimate gift. Jesus is the ultimate gift giver. I've heard it said that all treasure you have to purchase, but Jesus is the only treasure that's purchased you. If you understand that Jesus went to the cross for you, money will have no stronghold over you. Money won't be your hope and security. Jesus will. And you can give away your money generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We give because Jesus has given us everything. Guilt won't make you more generous. We'll only be generous when we see Jesus as generous to us. This is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. You will give, verse 13, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll have a new vision for giving when we see that Jesus became poor so that we could be eternally rich. The more you understand what Jesus has done for you, the more generous you will be. Oh, fellow Christian, Jesus died for you. Jesus has saved you. You have sinned against the holy God of the universe and deserve death forever. Hell was our destiny. Each and every one of us was headed to eternal torment. But the good news of Christianity is that Jesus, God in the flesh, God the Son, God himself, left the treasures of heaven and came to earth. He came to die. He marched to the cross, the ugliest, most obscene thing in all of history. And it was all necessary because of the justice of God. His commitment to always do what's right. Sinners couldn't be forgiven unless a proper punishment was executed. Sin was a debt. Sin was a crime. Sin was a punishment. But God made a way. Jesus, our substitute, came under judgment instead of us. He stood in our place, in the place of criminals, you and me. And Christ satisfied the demands of God's justice and took all of our sin. Took every last ounce of our sin so that we could have an inheritance that is imperishable, that is never ending, that is never fading, that is all glorious. A place where our tears are dried up, pain is forgotten, sin is vanquished, conflict extinguished, disease eliminated, death has died. A place where we will be face 
to face with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Oh, fellow Christian, the more this truth of what God has done for you sinks into your heart, the more that what Jesus has done for you with his joy sinks in your heart, only then will you explode in joyful generosity. Only then will you be a cheerful giver. Only then will you use your life and all of your time, talents, and treasures for the kingdom of God and not yourself. Only then will you see that there are idols in your heart that need to be dismantled. Only then will you see that there are items in your wallet or in your home that belong somewhere else. Friends, what you believe about the past, the gospel, and what you believe about the future, heaven, will have a huge impact on your giving. Only then will you understand God's love for you and be generous. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, friend, I urge you to repent of your sin and to trust Jesus to save you. Only when you see Jesus as the one who can save you can you have hope for eternity and hope to live as you are meant to live here on earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the ultimate gift giver and gift himself, Jesus, who has saved us and given us new hearts. Would our response be cheerful generosity that shows us that Jesus is more important to us than anything this world has to offer? Oh, Father, would we, Redeemer Church of Dubai, treasure Jesus more than our money, that we would treasure Jesus more than our career, that we would treasure Jesus more than our stuff, that we would treasure Jesus more than our earthly hopes and dreams. Oh, Father, would we, Redeemer Church of Dubai, treasure Jesus above all things, today and forevermore. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.